Thank you. Morning, church. It's very interesting. I think we all need to get used to the fact that we're one church in two locations, like, and fill up the gaps. We need to, when we come in the church in the morning, don't think the church is going to get filled. Like, come to the forward, and then we can start filling from the front back. It encourages me as a speaker to see a lot of faces and smiley faces. But I'm just going to pray for us real quick. Father, it is a privilege to be able to share your word. And it's a simple prayer, Lord. Just change us. By your Holy Spirit, make us look more like Jesus. In your name I've prayed. Okay. For those taking notes, my working title is Overcoming Temptation. Following on from Stuart's talk last week, we'll be tracking through the life of Joseph. Um, his life is an interesting life filled with betrayal, um, uncanny situations that form this pattern of coincidence. And um, he's hated by his brothers, sold into slavery, and he ends up in an Egyptian household where he's um, a slave to a man named Potiphar, who's an uh, official of the king of Egypt. And we land together in Genesis chapter 39. So I'm just going to read that for us. When Joseph was taken, into the, taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was a captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of the Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From that day, Joseph was put in charge of the master's household and property, and the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly, and his crops and livestock flourished. So, so Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. So Potiphar's, Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. <clears throat> but Joseph said, look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except to you, because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Now, in its simplest form, Genesis chapter 39 is a display of Joseph's resolve and triumph against temptation. Potiphar's wife comes to him, can I sleep with you? He looks at her and says, no, you're married to a man already. Temptation done. But what if the scripture is actually offering a deeper understanding of temptation? What if Genesis chapter 39 is suggesting Jesus, uh, Joseph didn't just rationalize himself out of temptation? He wasn't just taking a moral high ground. What if Joseph's ability to overcome temptation had couple, was a couple layers deeper? Well, first we have to explore what temptation really is. I've come up with a definition for temptation that I borrowed from a book from a person much smarter than me. He writes, with temptation, your capacity to discern what is good is being tested. So for context, let's go back to where it all began in the first and second chapters of Genesis. 
read about how God brought about creation. First, there's dry land. He separates the waters from the land. And he stands back and he says, this is good. Then he creates vegetation, plants, seeds, trees. It's like winter wonderland for vegans. And he says, this is good. Then he separates night from day. He puts the sun in the sky, he puts the stars and the moon. He stands back and looks at amazement in his creation. And he says, this is good. Puts fish in the sea, animals on the land, birds in the sky. And finally, he says, this is good. Then God said to Adam, no, then God said, let us make man in our image to be like us. This is Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. God created us in his own image and likeness. That means we have the ability, a God-like divine capacity to acknowledge and appreciate what is good when we see it, just like God did. We were created with this innate appreciation of what is good, just like God. Genesis 1.26, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over all the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. In other words, God said, all the created things that I created, that I said, this is good, I'm going to give it to man. I'm creating man with a, a mind that appreciates what is good. And then all that I created and said, this is good, I'm going to give it to him to enjoy. Then God tells Adam, this whole garden, all of it, everything you see is for you to enjoy. But just one thing, don't touch that, don't eat of this tree. It has forbidden fruit. In other words, this tree isn't good, Adam. And then Genesis 3 happens, where we see a conversation between Eve and the devil. This conversation with Eve leads to the first temptation recorded in the Bible. And it also tells us everything we need to know about temptation. This is Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any of the trees in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the, the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you shall surely not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be able to be like God, seeing what is good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she ate of the fruit of the tree. In this conversation, we see the devil's angle. He wasn't trying to get Eve to abandon what she knew was good, to do something that was obviously evil. What the devil did was he took Eve, Eve's view of what was good, and distorted it. Very rarely does a temptation feel like a, like a gun to the head saying, do this or else. It happens, but that's very rare. Society kind of paints this picture where, you know, the devil, he's like rash and he's like slamming doors and banging pots and pans together. But that's not the image we get of the devil from the Bible. He's not this um, like red thing with horns stirring a pot of hellfire somewhere. He's crafty. He's cunning. 
He even has a sense of charm. Temptation doesn't feel like do this or else. Temptation is more like this will make you feel good. You deserve this. This is the easier option. It's charming. The devil works. The devil's work is to get what you see and know to be good and distort it until the point you're calling something good that God did not. He distorts the truth into a lie, which goes back to our definition of temptation, which says, with temptations, your capacity to discern what is good is being tested. Sometimes, I'm a very practical thinker. If something, if there's a problem, I need a solution, and I need it quick. I don't like to dilly-dally. It's like, oh, this is the problem, this is the solution. We can move on. So when I pray sometimes, I'm like, God, why won't you just take away this temptation? I'm fed up of battling with this temptation. I'm sure you're fed up of me battling with this temptation. It makes sense for you to just rid me of this temptation. Win-win. But the truth is, that's the wrong prayer. See, God gave me an innate ability, a God-like divine characteristic to discern what is good. But it's the devil's work to pervert and distort what is good. God won't take away my temptations because he won't take away my ability to love what is good. My prayer should be, God, teach me what is good. The temptations we fall for are the temptations we have failed to recognize good and bad in. So looking back on Joseph and Potiphar's wife in Genesis chapter 39, let's read it with this perspective of temptation. And I'll add a bit of context. When Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard of Pharaoh, he, the king of Egypt. So two things to take note of. You do not want to switch lives with Joseph. Joseph is not in a good way right now. Betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery in a foreign land in Egypt where he's a slave. Serving a man who doesn't know his God. Secondly, Potiphar was an official of the king. So he was a very wealthy man. He had status. And trust me, Potiphar's wife would have looked the part. She wasn't a dragon. If he was a man of status, Potiphar's wife looked the part. So the Lord was with Joseph. So he succeeded in everything he did in the home of the Egyptian master. Potiphar realized this, that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. And this pleased Potiphar. So he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of everything in his entire household and everything he owned. From that day that, G that Joseph was put in charge of the master's house and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for, jo for Joseph's sake. And all his household affairs ran smoothly. All his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what food to eat. Joseph was very handsome and a well-built young man. So starting out as a slave, Joseph was such a good slave, he actually became friends with his master. Potiphar liked Joseph. So he's like, you know what? You're not just a slave anymore. We're friends now. I'm going to make you, I'm going to make you equal with me in this house. He cleans him up, gives him a shower, puts a Gucci robe on him, and all of a sudden, and Potiphar's wife 
began to look at him lustfully. Joseph's the man now, and he catches Potiphar's wife's attention. Pardon me. Come and sleep with me, she says. Joseph, a man who was being treated unfairly for so long, betrayed by those closest to him, a virgin who's never known a woman, invited to bump hips with Potiphar's wife. She's invited him for a night of intimacy and passion. I'm saying all this to say it will be natural for anyone in this situation to look at this opportunity as good. You've been betrayed by your brothers who love you the, who meant to love you the most. You've been sold into slavery. She's coming on to you. You're, you didn't initiate it. She's initiating it with you. Think about how crafty and how cunning the devil's being here. Like, what would the devil would have been whispering in Joseph's ear? You deserve this. You haven't had a fair day in your life. People have done you wrong. But Joseph said to her, look, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How can I do such a wicked thing? It will be such a, it will be such a great sin against God. Straight off the mark, Joseph recognizes this opportunity, this situation is not good. It is evil. How can I do this and sin against God? Nothing about this situation appealed to Joseph. It's like he's telling Potiphar's wife, can you hear what you're saying right now? Your husband isn't home. You want to sleep with me? Are you... What is good about that? See, good intentions alone aren't enough to combat temptation. Your rationale can't be your first line of defense when you're trying to overcome temptation. Not once do you hear Joseph saying something like, but if we get caught, I might lose this privilege. I might get an STI. I don't want to get her pregnant. Straight away off the mark, how can I do this wicked thing and sin against God? The driving force for Joseph wasn't any rationale apart from this is not Good. See temptation for what it is. You overcoming temptation is not about you getting brownie points with God. You avoiding temptation is about you living God, the, the best life that God intended for you. You don't avoid temptation for God. You avoid temptation for you. Because temptation isn't what you're being tempted with isn't good for you. Muscle God can give you a Mercedes Benz or some kind of reward. Temptation is a battle that's determined by our capacity to understand or to know what good is. You know what's ironic? The, the things that tempt us aren't even ambitious enough. That's why every time we give in to temptation, straight away we're like, there's this sense of shame and that, that, wasn't, that wasn't worth it. That wasn't good enough. Because we have a God-like capacity to know what really is good, just like God in the Garden of Eden. So when we're tempted by things that are counterfeit goods, we know it. 
That's the shame. That's the guilt. Anything that's truly good doesn't bring that. Context. God puts sex in the context of marriage. When you have sex in marriage, there's pleasure. It's good. Sex outside of marriage, instant regret. Instant, this isn't good. Think about your body. God was intentional about creating your body. I hate to drag this point, but did it, sex didn't have to feel pleasurable. That's a design perk from God. That's God showing you, I know what you like. It could have purely been recreational. But God designed your body so intricately where he said, this will be good for you in the context I create it in. So in that, we are supposed to understand that God understands pleasure. In fact, if he created this, then how much more does, is there in him and his way? How good is God? You always believe the lie if you don't have appreciate, an appreciation and understanding of what good is. You will always, 100% of the time, have a habitual relationship with temptation if you just haven't grasped what is good right now. How do we know what is good? By knowing God and by knowing God in his word. Jesus was taken by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to fast for 40 days and 40 nights. At the peak of his weakness, the devil comes to him to tempt him. This is the devil being crafty. He knows when to get you. He tempts Jesus three times. Jesus responds three times with the word. Satan tempts Jesus with the word. He tries to distort it. I'm sorry, I can't bring the actual examples to mind, but it's in Matthew, the beginning chapters. And three times Jesus combats temptation with the word. And I mean this in the most loving way when I say we have to mature and develop from being verse of the day Christians. Looking at your phone in the morning and reading one verse is not enough to teach you everything that is good. Eventually, we have to sit down and invest in the word to know God, to know good. Okay. If, if we're... I feel like this is a message that applies to everyone, including myself. And I don't want to put anyone on a spot and say, if you're come to the front, because I believe this is a, a general message that we can all benefit from. So I want to pray for all of us. But if you are sick and tired, if there's something currently in your life, sick and tired of it, temptation that you completely fall against every time, then remove shame from the situation, remove guilt from the situation, come to the front, and the leaders of church will pray for you. But first, can everyone stand so we can pray together? Father, I know it was a short word, but it's still your truth. Lord, teach us what is good. Teach us to recognize you. 
Lord, so many times we've believed the devil's lies and it's put us in situations that are less favorable. But Father, now we want to turn to you and say, Lord, what would you do with my life? What is the best route? What is good? Teach me to recognize good when I see it and to acknowledge when something is not good. For so long, I've rebelled, Lord God, and made my own rules for what good is. Ignoring your word and living my own life, thinking that it will bring me pleasure. But Lord, you are the architect of pleasure. You created it. So teach me, Father, how to understand what is good in this life.